was it was the red-blue mock game scrimmage, if you will, under the lights. But it was a game that was enjoyed live by fans for the first time in a long time. And that is where we're going to begin today's show. Saturday night at Arizona Stadium, something, uh, you know, something warmed my cold Grinch heart as I saw fans standing outside the stadium for the first time in quite some time uh, and early for, for quite some time, to be honest with you, as I arrived at the stadium and uh, there, I, look, I'll be honest with you, I had a hard time finding a place to park in the Cherry Garage. And I'm thinking to myself, this, there has to be something else going on, on campus today. Like there's, there's something else happening right now. There's, there's, there's got to be a reason why there are this many cars in the parking garage right now. And it was because of the football game. There were fans at the game. In fact, based on some of the estimations by the marketing and ticketing department, somewhere upwards of about 8,000 people attended the mock game, which exceeded the numbers that I think a lot of us were kind of expecting, right? I mean, I know Jed Fish had mentioned, I think he gave out a number last week and sometime he said, you know, some, they're, they're expecting between two and 3,000 people. And he knew that we weren't going to fill the stadium. We weren't going to be 53,000 people in the stadium. I get that. He knew that. But I think that, you know, the sentiment was that we would be happy to have 4,000 people at the game on Saturday night. And 8,000 people showed up. Now, many of them students. And as, you know, it is expected to happen in these types of situations, word gets around. There's a lot of freshmen, and Jed Fish called them out. During halftime of the of the scrimmage on Saturday night, they asked him where the freshmen were, and it was by far the loudest uh, response in the entire student section area that was that was at the game. I get it. Freshmen on campus for the first time. And I think I read somewhere last week that this is the largest incoming freshman class that the University of Arizona has ever had, which is great. Look, that's that's all really really good stuff. I'm very happy about that because you know these are these are young people that are going to be cultivated with this new culture in not only the football program, but in everything else that's going on on campus as well. But as the kind of the word swells, you know, word gets around, what are you doing tonight? Well, I think, you know, me and my friend are going to go to the game tonight and go check out the game. Oh, yeah, there's a game tonight? Well, it's like a scrimmage, but they're giving out free Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A, let's go. Boom, boom, boom. Then all of a sudden, it gets on Snapchat, TikTok, and all whatever other you know apps and things like that that, uh, that the young people are using these days. Maybe they've already moved on from those. I don't know. I'm I'm just an old guy, just trying to catch up. But you know, they go on and they 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 post a video, they post selfies. They're like on their way to the football game, eh, you know. And all of a sudden, people pick up on that. They're like, let's go to the football game too. It's a party. There's a big DJ. And trust me, if you could. If you were within three miles of the stadium, probably within five miles of the stadium, you could hear the music from the stadium. The new DJ setup and the new uh, speaker setup that, they, that we've got there at the stadium is, um, <clears throat> how should I put it, strong. Let's, uh, let's, let's use the word strong. Very, very strong uh, output coming out of, those, uh, out of the speakers. Now don't be don't be alarmed. It's it, look. It, it, there are going to be some you know some loud music being played. It's not all that different from the uh, from the, the the sound systems that were played before. Okay, as far as like on the field stuff when the players are warming up. I will also say this that it's 
not coming out of the of the main speakers at Arizona Stadium where where like the big screen is, the the sound quality is a lot better. So yes, it's loud. There's a lot of bass, but down on the field level, like up where I'm at, like up in the PA deck, like everything was rattling up there. Like <laughs> it was like the bass was just shaking the entire booth. But down on the field level, it really wasn't bad at all. Like it just sounded like you know some loud music, like what we're kind of accustomed to. So I think the fans that are at the game, at least in the lower two sections and such, if you're you know if you're on those lower sections, I don't think you really be affected too much by it. I think you'll be fine. Uh, but it's you know just to kind of set the you know set the tone, let you know what what to expect when you get to uh, Arizona Stadium this year. It's it's going to be a party. The, you know this is this is a campus event. And they're going to treat it as such. So they're going to bring in a big. They've got a big time DJ coming in, and uh, he is a professional, and he's going to do some cool things and uh, play some great music and get the get the team ready to go before the game and and kind of set a mood. So, with that being said, the eight thousand people in attendance last night seemed like they were having a great time. As I was watching across the the field with my binoculars, just kind of checking out the crowd seeing what the, the vibe is there, people enjoying their Chick-fil-A sandwiches and stuff, and a lot of parents in the stands as well coming to see their kids play in, in, a, in a scrimmage. But there were a lot of other fans there as well, just casual fans, you know, it's, you know citizens of Tucson that had come out to watch the game. It was great to see, really. Um, I have, a, I have a, a cool picture of the entire side of the stadium, that entire side of the stadium. And it's literally like from Section 1, if you're going from left to right, if you're sitting – on the on the west side of the stadium, or the yeah, the west side of the stadium, and you're looking east, sections one through seven. So we're going left to right. The first section of bleachers going all the way over to to section seven. That's basically the student section that's going to be for you know for the students issue. They want they want the student section to be large. It's the biggest student section in the entire Pac-12, and they want to fill it. And if it looks like it did last night, anywhere between eight thousand and nine thousand students in that section, it's going to be insane at Arizona football games this year. Now, granted, team needs to win, and a lot of those fans did not stick around after halftime, and that's understandable. It was a little bit warm, and it was a scrimmage. Let's call it like it is. And the enticement was to uh, to be there for the free Chick-fil-A sandwich at the beginning. But if you listen to the words that Jed Fish delivered during his halftime speech to the fans, to the student section, he's going to buy. He's going to buy. 500 Chick-fil-A sandwiches a game for the student section for students who stay into the fourth quarter. 500. Now, I don't know if anybody notified Chick-fil-A about this. They may want to ramp up their uh, their inventory, possibly the employees that are going to be working on Saturday nights because Jetfish about to make a big DoorDash order. <laughs> you see, You see a head coach on the sideline. Like, what's he doing? Oh, he must be looking at film on his phone real quick. It must be some kind of new technology. No, no, he's on DoorDash. He's ordering Chick-fil-A sandwiches for the student section. <laughs> Gotta love technology. Can you imagine if you, if you work in the industry, you know, if you're someone who works in the food industry, and you hear that, that telltale ringtone that comes across when a DoorDash order comes in, or, you know, whomever, Uber Eats, whatever, the, all, all the other uh, services that are out there, you hear that, that telltale ringtone, you're like, oh, boy, what can this be? Pick that up. 500 sandwiches for Arizona Stadium. What? So somebody might want to alert and notify Chick-fil-A. Uh, I, I also may want to start investing in 
chicken sandwiches or, you know, chicken or something. How can I invest in that? Because that market about to go up in the city of Tucson, 500 sandwiches a game. Jetfish also tried to implement, or is, I shouldn't say tried, is looking to implement some new traditions for U of A football. And like anything, in when, when you, you deal with installing new traditions, it takes time. You have to find, and you have to find the right, the right thing. You have to find the right piece. You have to find the, the the magic elixir that works with fans and with your vision and you know the the personality of the people and the relationship with the team and all that kind of stuff. It's not easy. A lot of times, traditions aren't created; they're just born, right? Like you just like the, the the for the for the longest time, the shaking of the keys during kickoff. And what a lot of people don't realize is where that even started. That started at U of A hockey games way, way back in the day, the shaking of the keys. They would, they would shake the keys uh, during, during the hockey games, and then those same fans would then go to football games, and they'd get their keys out for kickoff, and then the shaking of the keys began at the uh, at, you know, kickoff of the U of A football games. But it's not something that hasn't been done at U of A football in years. I think the last time I shook my keys was in my old, old seats that I had 10, 12 years ago. But uh, nonetheless, Jed Fish going to try to implement some new, uh, some new traditions. Now, implementing new traditions may be more of an uphill battle than getting this football team to win games on the field this year. It's, it's, it's never easy. Things have been tried. Former athletic director Greg Byrne tried to implement some new traditions with the, the sway, the zone of sway. We all tried the zone of sway. And it lasted for about two years. And it never caught on. And there have been other, uh, other you know, so-called traditions that have been tried to be implemented by coaching staffs and athletic departments that just fell by the wayside. These things happen. You have to do it by trial and error. You have to just kind of just keep it going. You got to read the, you know, read the crowd, figure out what it is they like, figure out how to, how to, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, get communicate with them on that level, and then you can you can try to implement these things. We'll see. You know, the, one of the things that Jetfish wants to do is between the third and fourth quarter, he wants the student section to sing the alma mater, and then they're going to play a they're going to play a song, a Kenny Chesney song, that's got uh, a phrase about Tucson, Arizona in it. Can't fault him for for trying that, for trying to implement new things. The alma mater is, you know, let I mean, let's face it, it's not a fight song. It's the alma mater. It's usually a song that's played after games somewhere, but. In his experience in the SEC, it's something that is embraced down there in, this, in the SEC. And I will tell you, uh, it is 100% true. I've been to SEC games in the Southland, and the, the alma mater, I mean, it, like, they have great pride in their school, and that pride comes out at the football games. I've been to, I've been to Georgia. I've been to, you know, been to Athens, been between the hedges at University of Georgia. I've been to Tennessee, and I can tell you that both of those – home crowds take their take their school very seriously. I mean, the, the football is taken seriously, obviously. They take their school very seriously as well. It's a very different atmosphere. And Jed Fish grew up in that atmosphere. He went to Florida, okay? In the swamp, 90,000 fans at the stadium. They're all singing the alma mater. It's, it's, a, big, it's a big, bold move. It's a big, you know... It's, it's a big ask of the people out west because it's a different 
We're, we're just a different breed out here. Like it's, I, I, like I said, I've been to games in the South. It's, there's nothing like it. I've been, I've been to a home game in every single stadium except for one in the Pac-12. I'm saving one for the big for the big day for the big day of it all. If I never go, that means that we, during my lifetime, we never played in a Rose Bowl. But I, I, that's the one stadium I've never watched a game in because I'm holding out for that one time that we play there in the Tournament of Roses. Okay, that's that's the whole whole reason why I'm holding on to that one. Maybe I'm sentimental. Maybe I'm just an idiot. But yeah, all of the other eleven uh, stadiums I've been to, I've watched a game at. Yes, some of the atmospheres are really good. You go up to Seattle, the the atmosphere there at Washington is intense. Those fans are are very passionate. Oregon, it's more about them just kind of being it, – it's the thing to do. It's, it's like the popular thing to do. So you need to be there. You need to be loud. You need to wear the loudest colors you can possibly wear, and that's basically it. There's, there's, it's a very different type of fan base. Okay? But I've been to – in the South, I mean, I went to Tennessee just a couple years ago. Tennessee was terrible. They are coming off a three-win season. I went there. There was 96,000 people in that stadium, which is not even a sellout, by the way. 96,000 people in Neyland Stadium. They're playing South Carolina that night. South Carolina wasn't even a good team. It was, just, it was just an average football game. That place was insane. And it was all traditional type stuff. And granted, I get it. Tennessee is, is a really old state. It's been around a long, long time. And we out here in the West, we're, you know, we're, we're babies still. We're still brand new especially here in Arizona. So it takes time to develop these types of things. But it's it's like you go to Tennessee, you went to Georgia was the same way. Georgia was everything and Georgia is one of the one of the oldest institutions in the country. They everything is it's it's scripted without being scripted. You're just expected to know what to do. It's impressive. It is really cool. It's an amazing experience. And like I said, this may be the 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 greatest uphill battle that Jed Fish has during his tenure here at Arizona is trying to implement new traditions to a West Coast crowd or a Southwest crowd that has no idea that traditions for football games even exist. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens and how the fans embrace these new implementations. Now, one thing that will be interesting also to see is how the fans will embrace the announcement of who the new quarterback will be. Saturday night after the game, Jed Fish tells the media, we're going to announce starting quarterback on Monday. I pretty much already know who it is. We just need to talk with my coaches, my offensive coaches, and figure out how we're going to implement how we're going to lay it out, which was an interesting way to put things, how we're going to lay it out. You know, how we have to determine the layout of the whole thing. Does that mean there's going to be two quarterbacks? Is it going to be a two-QB system? Do they, do they just really like both quarterbacks so much? that it's going to be a two a two quarterback system where they kind of platoon between Gunnar Cruz and Will Plummer because a- after watching the scrimmage on Saturday night it's obvious who their top two choices are they're the only two quarterbacks that got reps with the first team offense the other quarterbacks were splitting reps with the second and the threes the twos and the threes between McLeod and Ashworth okay um they they, they, they you know it's obvious who the top two are Personally, I think it's going to be Gunnar Cruz. I felt I've felt it was going to be that way all along. 
He looked to be in better command of the offense on Saturday night. He delivered his throws with more confidence, and he has the arm strength to challenge the defense over the top. There's always that threat that he can burn you deep, and Arizona's got some deep threats. Tavian Cunningham is a speed burner. B.J. Castile, although he caught a lot of passes underneath, and he caught a ton of passes on Saturday night, although he caught a lot of passes underneath and on crossing routes and slants, he can burn you too. He's a guy that can really get outside the numbers and run the sideline. We know that Stanley Berryhill has beaten this defense repeatedly during camp, deep. So Arizona has deep threats at the wide receiver position. If you want to try to instill the threat of that bomb always happening or always being ready to to, to go off, and Gunnar Cruz is back there, the the defense has to respect that. They're going to have to keep a safety back at all times. Allows Arizona to dictate even that much more how, how much they do and what the play calls are on offense. So I agree that I think it should be Gunnar Cruz, but I'm not the coach. I'm not there with the, the players in meetings. You know, I don't know how well the playbook has been picked up by these, by these particular quarterbacks. So we'll have to wait and see because the announcement was going to be today, but because of meetings and things like that, they're going to move Jed Fish's press conference to tomorrow. They had to move it to tomorrow. It's just a logistics thing. It's not we have to wait longer to decide. They know. I'm pretty, they know who the starting quarterback is going to be. He said, I'm going to talk to my offensive coaches on the layout of it, which kind of, in, you know, I don't know, maybe it indicates that they're going to go with a two-man system. I'm not exactly sure. I hope that's not the case. I don't want to see a, a two-quarterback platoon system. That's not what – I don't think that fits. I don't think that fits with this type of offense. But, again, in fish we trust, right? Don't miss NFL Cover 2 every weekday here on ESPN Tucson. It's brought to you by Barrio Brewing Company. Barrio Brewing Company, Arizona's oldest brewery, celebrating 30 years of brewing for Arizona. We'll return right after this. You're listening here to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Now back to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. Welcome back to the Jeff Dean Show here on ESPN Tucson. Taking a few more things away from the mock game scrimmage on Saturday night, some of the observations. I obviously had a job I had to do. So I wasn't able to focus as intently on certain things that I wanted to watch as I had preferred because I had a job to do. I had to make sure I knew who the ball carrier was, where the pass went to, who was defending and the tackling and all that other stuff. I didn't have my uh, – my spotter wasn't there. Matt Brucker, shout out. Matt's the, the – he's, the, he's the best spotter in the, in the, in the conference and uh, looking forward to working with him again this year. But he couldn't be there this Saturday night. So I was doing it by myself. Now, that doesn't mean I wasn't like just kind of like, oh, uh, I'll take this play off. I need to watch how this player plays. Because I would, I would watch somebody enter the game. And one of those players was Mo Diallo. I wanted to see him play because, hell, he hasn't been here very long, right? And then we found out after the game that dude has spent the entire summer on a fishing boat in Spain because his family needed money. He's trying to take care of his mom. So dude went out and got a job on a fishing boat in Spain. And they had, uh, Coach Fish and Mo Diallo had kept in contact with one another when Diallo's fishing boat would come to port so that he could, t- you know, he could text or call or whatever. And that's how they kind of kept in, in contact with one another. But 
he couldn't join the team until his obligation with his summer job was over with, which was working on a fishing boat in Spain. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched those fishing boat shows or if you know someone who's worked on a fishing boat or if you yourself has ever worked on a fishing boat, just how strenuous and difficult and stressful and dangerous as that job can be. When I heard that, I was like, wait, what? He was on a fishing boat? Like, this is the kind of guy... Like these are the these are the kind of guys you you want on your football team. This is a grown ass man. Like this is Mo Diallo is a grown man who went out there and got a summer job to help his family make ends meet. Went to Spain to work on a fishing boat to help his mom out. And then showed up to play a football game Saturday night. And I'll tell you one thing, he looked real good. Like this dude like, I was watching him play, and I was able to focus in with my – I've got, the, like, the super binoculars. I was able to focus in on, on what he does well. He does it all well. Like, I, I, was, I was so incredibly impressed. This is before I knew all this other stuff about him. I was so incredibly impressed with what I saw. First of all, his hand work. His hand placement is, is nearly impeccable. He is he, – he's able to he, – he makes first contact, which is – in the trenches, you make first strike, you get leverage. Okay, that's that's where your leverage begins. If you can get first strike, that's where you can now start to use your body and use your leverage against your opponent. That's how you win one-on-one matchups in the trenches. He's able to strike first. He's quick off the ball. He's got good reach. He's got great hand placement. He knows what he's doing. He's got good footwork. Footwork that tells me that he can play. Not only defensive end, he was playing defensive end. He also played a little bit of a little bit of tackle in the game as well. He can play both. He can play, he can play your five technique, your three technique. He can even probably play like a two technique. So look, I, I'm extremely excited about this. Like this may end up being one of those unsung hero signings of the year. The transfer from Central Michigan, Mo Diallo, because dude can flat out play on the defensive line. Also. Looking at the defensive line, now there were a lot of guys that were out on Saturday night, didn't play. We knew that was going to happen because there have been a lot of D linemen who have been sitting out in practices all camp long. Trevon Mason is back with a vengeance. He is here to play. He was a major disruptor uh, in the offensive backfield during that, during that scrimmage. He was unblockable at times. He's very strong extremely strong, he's explosive, another guy who uses leverage to his advantage. I'm liking what I see out of the defensive line. I'm also liking what I see out of the secondary. Thought the secondary played extremely well. I mean, the, the, usual, right, the usual suspects were there. Christian Roland Wallace, he was there. I mean, he, he, played, a, a, you know, he played a great game. Jaden Young played a great game. Uh, Jackson Turner played extremely well. Okay. These are these are guys you expect to to go out there and, and, and win and, and play well in that type of situation. Traden Stukes, um, he played well. He he had a, has got a real, real good nose for the ball. He's a good tackler. Um, so I liked I liked how he played. And also the young man, the freshman, the incomer from St. Thomas Aquinas, Florida. Yeah, yeah, talking about exact yeah, Isaiah Taylor. Like he 
if, if you watch the game, if you're at the game, he just looks different on the football field. Even as a freshman, you can just kind of tell, like, he's got – he's had some professional training. Not only has he had professional training, but he's also got incredible genes in his blood flowing through there as his dad is an NFL Hall of Famer and a guy who was an absolute freak at his position. So Isaiah Taylor got himself an interception. It was a tipped ball, but he was able to to stay in there and make the play, and he looked good on other plays as well. He was good in coverage and looking forward to to his future here at Arizona. So that's the defensive side of the ball. The, you know, the linebackers played well enough. I didn't get a chance to really focus on them too much. Um, I wanted to look at what uh, Treshawn Hayward looked like. He looked good. He's fast. Um, he 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 knows. He does that. He's got that. He's got that classic linebacker uh, training. You know, he he. You can tell he's got that vision point to flat type. Let's let's make sure that I can read the center. As soon as this is happening, I'm immediately going to the flat. Flat's open. I'm okay. I can go ahead and stick. Now let's go. So <clears throat> he's you know he's you can he's he's well trained. He you can he's been playing the position for a long time. He's going to fit in. He, he's going to be able to to start day one, and he's going to be uh, a very solid player for Arizona. I'm looking forward to watching him play. There were some other young players that that I think stood out. Um, you know, Rashi Hodge. I thought as much praise as he's gotten in this camp. Uh, watched him play. Didn't I mean what you know? Didn't get his name called a whole lot. Wasn't around the whole lot. But you know, look, he, he you can see him out there. He's fluid. Uh, he's a good player. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I liked what I saw out of some of the young receivers as well. So, all in all, look, it, it's a work in progress. This team is going to have its growing pains. We we knew that already. They're they're going to have issues in certain areas, but. When I when I talked about last year's team, when I was okay, this is this is the problems I see with the, with this year's team. When I was talking, if, you know, for the 2020 uh, season, that there's going to be a lot of guys out of position because they're first time playing in that position, um, and we saw that, right? I mean, we saw plays last year. You're just like, how that guy? There's nobody within 18 yards of that guy. We're not going to see that this year because the players that were brought in have been playing their position for quite some time. They're very seasoned veterans at that position. And we have a defensive coordinator in Don Brown who is going to make sure he puts those guys in the right position to make plays and do all the things necessary for his defense to work. The Viper the Viper position was kind of all over the field last night making plays. There was there was uh I called a lot of a lot of names at Viper on tackles last night. So that was good to hear as well. So again, Defense ahead of the offense, as it should be. I think eventually that offense will begin to catch up. The quarterback needs to be named. We need to know who that starting quarterback is going to be, who's going to be getting 100% of the reps with the ones. Once we know that, the offense can, can start to really progress and get into the form that it's going to be on September 4th, which is the ultimate test. And if you read what BYU's putting out there, that game's already over. It shouldn't even be played. But we'll see. It's two weeks away. All right, so that's our Wildcat football. When we come back, we'll talk some Arizona Cardinals, some NFL, because the Arizona Cardinals played over the weekend. Um, ah, if you watch the game, you're probably thinking the same thing I am. What the hell happened to their offense? We'll talk about that next. You're listening here to the Jeff Dean Show on ESPN Tucson. Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. 
Well, the Chiefs were in town, the defending AFC champions in Glendale over the weekend to take on the Arizona Cardinals. And the Arizona Cardinals <laughs> did not look good. I mean, like, not at all. Offense looked absolutely terrible. Here's the line. Kyler Murray getting his first preseason action of the season, okay? Uh, if you're if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you've got some new pieces on offense. You've got new tailbacks. you got new tight ends. you got some new pieces on the offensive line. And, of course, you got A.J. Green, and you don't have Larry Fitzgerald. So you want to make sure that you get some reps for your starting quarterback, right? You want your QB1, get some reps. He's probably not going to get any in week number three because you don't play your starters the week before week one of the season opener, right? You just you won't do that. So before it was week four of the preseason, now it's going to be week three of the preseason. So the Cardinals needed to see Kyler Murray on the field. And on on uh, you know on, on the during the game, um, he went one for four for two yards. Two. Here's the drive chart for Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. He played three series. In the, uh, in the opening quarter for the Cardinals. The first play from scrimmage, they got a three-yard run from Chase Edmonds. Then Kyler Murray got a uh, short pass off to Rondell Moore, rookie Rondell Moore, for two yards. That would be it. That's where the offense ended for the Arizona Cardinals during Kyler Murray's stint on the field. Then an incomplete pass followed by a punt. Okay. Then let's look at their next series. Kyler Murray comes out. After a lengthy drive from Patrick Mahomes that ended in a field goal, Kyler Murray comes out, scrambles right, gets his eight yards of rushing. That would be it for the rest of the night for him. He got eight yards. He had eight yards rushing on the night. Scrambled out of the, you know, got out of there. Then James Conner took a, a one-yard loss, got got hit in the backfield on a on a passing play, and then Kyler Murray threw incom- incomplete to Christian Kirk. Cardinals defense holds. They do a three and out against the Kansas City Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Then Kyler Murray comes back out, gets sacked, gets sacked, throws a horrible pass on a rushed play to A.J. Green, and that was the end of the night for Kyler Murray. One for four in the passing game for two yards of offense and eight yards rushing in the game. Now, my favorite part of this was after the game, and they were they were obviously you know players get interviewed and things like that, Cardinals left tackle D.J. Humphreys was was interviewed, and he said, quote, it would have been good to get a touchdown, but I definitely don't think the sky is falling. It would have been good to get a touchdown? Hey, it would have been good to get a first down because, you know, you didn't have any. Zero. The Cardinals did not get their first first down of the game until the second stringers came in. Now, this offense, we've seen this offense before. We know that it can be, you know, Cliff Kingsbury's offense can be a little bit chaotic at times, whether that's by design or whether it's just with Kyler Murray just deciding to take off because he's such a, a, a you know, he's got that quick twitch electric type athletic style um, that as soon as anything happens, he he, he bolts, he takes off. And he's, t- look, he's, he's tough to contain. He is slippery. He's tough. He's fast. He's, he's, a, he's a difficult problem for defenses. But this offense looks absolutely terrible right now. Terrible. And I don't know I don't know how it gets any better. Like, you can say all you want. You go, oh, they're going out there with vanilla. Okay. Vanilla you're telling me you can't complete vanilla passes? Like just something really basic? 
wide receiver runs an out and up, and and you can't you can't complete that. He runs a crossing route or a, a a quick slant. You can't complete that. Nope, they couldn't. You can't complete a, a hitch pass or a wide receiver screen or something. Yeah, I know you're not going to open up your playbook, but what the hell, man? Like, I mean, everybody's seen your playbook. We've got we got two years of watching your playbook. You're not going to surprise anyone. One for four for two yards passing. Took two sacks in the game. Look, again, this is something that I talk about with the Arizona Cardinals. It has been like like a plague that has followed this team forever. They can't buy an offensive line. They've tried everything. Trust me, I've covered this team for a long, long time. Been in that locker room many times. Talked to a lot of different offensive line coaches. They all have somewhat different philosophies, but generally the same thing is in play at all times. We need to play physical up front and limit quarterback sacks. That's, I mean, that's, that's the goal of every offensive line coach. Play physical, limit pressures and sacks. The Arizona Cardinals haven't been able to do that like ever. I mean, they've had one quarterback have real, real substantial success, and he's a Hall of Famer. Kurt Warner, one of the best deep ball throwers we've ever seen, also playing for probably one of the more underrated coaches that we've seen in recent history in Bruce Arians. I think we're all kind of realizing that now, just how good of a coach Bruce Arians really is, slash was, during his time with the Cardinals. It's like a plague that follows this team. They can't get offensive line performance out of this franchise. It just doesn't happen. So what do the Cardinals do? I know people are talking about how talented they are and all this and that. I got news for you. If you don't have any talent or unable to stop anybody in the trenches, your talent don't mean squat. Doesn't mean a damn thing. You can have the fastest quarterback in the world. It will not matter. It's 11 versus 1. You, 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 can't, you can't win that. You can't, I don't care who you are. You cannot win that. So the Arizona Cardinals, I know, I'm trying not to be too, you know, buying too much into the preseason, but this was the first time that Kyler Murray saw the field this year, and it was a disaster. It was horrible. And the players and the coaches can play it off all they want. Arizona Cardinals didn't get a first down, period. End of story. Team, the, the, the first teamers could not get a first down, had fewer yards they had, what, four, four total yards of offense? Four. In three drives. They went four. They moved the ball four yards total. That's pathetic. If you think this is the team that's going to win the West, <laughs> I, I mean, I, how bad do you think the other three teams are? And, yes, I saw the scores. And, again, scores don't matter. Unless you're Buffalo. They're, coming, they're out for blood. I don't know what their deal is. My God, are they playing? Uh, they're they just about killed Justin Fields on, the other night, on Saturday night. My God, those comments from Justin Fields like, "Oh, the game's really slow." Actually, it's uh, the game's a lot slower than I thought it was. Welcome to Buffalo. Boom, he got crushed. We'll talk about that game coming up because there was a performance in that game that was not expected, and I think we're starting to see just how good of a, of a head coach Sean McDermott is at Buffalo. A reason why. The Buffalo Bills are a a, uh, a favorite to win the AFC. Uh, you know, one of the one of the favorites to win the AFC this year. But there was a lot of action in the NFL over the weekend. 
the Cardinals' miscues was just a portion of it. The New England Patriots, we, you know, I, I talked about them uh, and how good uh, Cam Newton looked, and Mac Jones looked, looked good in that game as well. They're, they're going to be fine. We talked about J.J. Taylor and gave him all kinds of praise. There's plenty of rookie quarterbacks out there that played pretty well over the weekend as well, including Trey Lance for San Francisco 49ers when they played the Chargers. They played uh, last night. Trey Lance had a rough first series and then went on to score two touchdowns, throw two touchdown passes after that. This is a very exciting season for the NFL. Fans are going to be back in the stands. It's going to be fun to see all these new players out there. Look, it's you know nothing like uh, it, you know, it's nothing different from from any other time, but I, it, there's there's some there's some interesting teams out there for sure. Like, I want to talk about Buffalo for another second here because the Buffalo Bills again the scores don't matter forty one fifteen fifty two to nothing it doesn't matter what the preseason score was. The way Buffalo is playing football right now, like they don't care that it's preseason. You, like they just they're just pinning their ears back. They're out there playing as hard as they possibly can. And Mitchell Trubisky, their backup quarterback, was destroying the Chicago Bears defense the other night. Very interesting to see how well he performed. And just you know how bad he was, of course, when he was with the Bears. Just goes to show you the difference in coaching, what it can mean. Arizona is about to get even hotter because FanDuel Daily Fantasy Sports and FanDuel Sportsbook are coming soon. September 9th, ladies and gentlemen. September 9th, I am counting the days until it becomes fully legal here in the state of Arizona. I've got friends in other states, specifically like Tennessee. You know, the, my, my friends in Tennessee, they love playing on FanDuel. Uh, they, they get into NASCAR. And, look, I, I don't blame them. NASCAR fantasy is a lot of fun, and FanDuel has that. And they offer many, many other avenues of fantasy sports as well. The fantasy contests, uh, they will be beginning this Saturday, August the 28th. It's easy to enter. It's 100% secure, and it's a ton of fun. There's uh, head-to-head matchups against thousands of fans from the FanDuel site in really every other major U.S. sport you can possibly think of, Uh, real cash prizes. It's America's number one sports book, FanDuel, and it's coming soon right here to Tucson, the state of Arizona. They've got the best betting lines. There are tons of promotions out there. There are always uh, promotions. There's There's a little special tab that you can go to. Find these special promotions for a particular event. Of course, existing customers get special perks as well. There's fast payouts, and it's a safe, secure, easy-to-use app. If you're wanting to check this out, and I know you will be, visit FanDuel.com slash Arizona today. That's FanDuel.com slash Arizona. Age and location restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable site credit expires seven days after receipt. See FanDuel.com for terms and conditions. It's FanDuel. Dot com slash Arizona. You're listening to the Jeff Dean Show here on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson. More of the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 1049 FM, ESPN Tucson. Rookie quarterbacks in the NFL this year is going to be the talking point for most analysts and people who talk NFL. And, and look, rightfully so. It's 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 been happening for the last better better part of the last decade or a decade and a half, talking about the rookie quarterbacks. There's even more of an influx year to year as quarterbacks become more NFL ready. Now we we you know we've talked about this plenty of times on the show. 
and I will continue to talk about it, how just how different it is between the college game and the pro game. But because of quarterback camps and pro quarterbacks or retired quarterbacks that have camps that get kids ready, young players ready for the NFL, it changes things. And with the eruption of seven-on-seven type ball, and there's just a renewed kind of work ethic, I think, around the world of football and the NFL and pro players. Like they want to – they're constantly working to get better because it's a huge money grab. I mean, let's be honest. The the enticement is out there. The motivation is there. Make more money. The better you are, the more money you make. And it's good because – you know, players like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, who Zach Wilson's actually looked really, really good so far this preseason. I'm surprised. I, I, I will be the first one to say that. I felt like he had, uh, of all the rookie quarterbacks that were drafted in this draft, that he was the highest propensity for bust. Trey Lance has looked really good. Justin Fields, we, we talked glowingly about him last week. He came back down to earth a little bit uh, this previous week when he got literally his head nearly knocked off in the Buffalo game, and Mac Jones has looked really good as well. Okay, Over the last 10 years, 31 rookie quarterbacks have taken significant snaps in the NFL over the last 10 years. I mean, this, is, this is just a, 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 a number that we're going to see rise as the years go on. Dak Prescott, okay, RG3, the offensive rookie of the year, Russell Wilson, Started from day one, even though they had just signed Matt Flynn to the offseason free agency deal. They draft Russell Wilson. They're like, they get him into camp. All of a sudden, they're like, uh, this guy's a, a, incredible. And yeah, he's going to play. Justin Herbert last year. Okay. Lots of them. 24 of the 31. Okay. That's 77% have performed at a below average level for NFL quarterbacks. Okay. There's there's like this there's a, a, a you know like a like a type of you know uh, what am I what am I trying to say here there's there's a, a formula for how they calculate the performance of quarterbacks specifically rookie quarterbacks and with this particular formula they have found out that 75 percent or better of the rookie quarterbacks who come into this league perform below that level below that average level rookie starters a lot of times are playing for bad teams, like Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson will be. Some people could argue that Justin Fields is playing for a bad team. I'm not going to pile on the Bears right now. There's no need to do that. So when we look at where those particular quarterbacks are, who are they trying to overcome? Who, we, we know Trevor Lawrence, even though Urban Meyer continues to blow smoke up our skirts and telling us that the job is still open between Trevor Lawrence and Gardner Minshew, we know it's not. Just stop it. I talked about it last week. I'm sick and tired of hearing Urban Meyer talk about there's an open competition. There's not. Knock it off. Be more like Robert Sala, head coach in the New York Jets, and said, Zach Wilson started from day one. And he's played as such. He's, he's performed well. But you look at, like, Justin Fields, I think Andy Dalton is still playing well enough to get that starting job. And I think that Andy Dalton will outperform Justin Fields for a little bit, but eventually – when the Bears aren't winning football games and Andy Dalton just doesn't seem dynamic enough for the, for the, for the coaching staff, for the players in that locker room, or for the fans. It, you know, nobody cares about whether the fans are excited or not. I mean, you want to sell tickets, but regardless. Uh, for a while, Andy Dalton will be the starting quarterback. I think eventually Justin Fields will rise to the top once he gets more comfortable in the system, in the NFL, 
he's eventually going to take over that job. Same way in San Francisco. Trey Lance will eventually rise above Jimmy Garoppolo. You can just tell by watching them play. He's a better player. Now, I don't believe that that's the case in New England. I think Cam Newton is the starter day one until he gets hurt or is just absolutely so incredibly awful that they have to replace him. But I don't think that's going to happen. I think that that Cam Newton is here for the entire first year and then that the the Patriots will decide what to do during the offseason with their rookie quarterback, Mac Jones, out of Alabama. So, you know, don't expect the rookie quarterbacks just to come in and burn it up this year. But we will be taking a look at some of the sophomore quarterbacks, Tua, Joe Burrow, okay, the likes of those guys, Justin Herbert. Keep an eye on them because this is their next chance to take that next big step in the NFL. Hour one is in the books. Hour number two coming up next. It's a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening here to the Jeff Dean Show on 1490 AM, 104.9 FM, ESPN Tucson.